Hello and welcome to the Peak Too Early podcast. It's been a rough few days for football, but things have started looking up in the last couple of hours. Speaking of rough, I'm joined by my co-host Blake Munchell and a very special guest today, our very dear friend Dash, a Liverpool fan. First ever guest of the Peak Too Early podcast. Dash, how are you? How honoured do you feel? Yeah, I'm I'm feeling good. I'm feeling very honored to be the first guest on this podcast. Um got a lot to talk about. And yeah, it's great to be here. Yeah. Um it is an honor to have you, uh, despite you being a filthy, filthy Liverpool fan. Oh no. Um Yeah, I know. D- Dash, how did you uh become a Liverpool fan? Uh, a plastic as they're called. Okay, so first of all, I'm not a plastic. Um, I've been a Liverpool fan for like 10 years, which to some people may not sound like that long, but that's like half my life. Um, and yeah, no, dating back to the, the you know, Gerard Torres days, um, to be honest, I just kind of picked a club. Um, and a friend of mine when I was like 10 uh, asked me what my favorite club was, and I picked Liverpool. And they got me a, a Liverpool soccer ball for my birthday that year. I was in like sixth grade. And at that, and then I was just locked in. I was like, all right, let's just go go all the way. And then since then, you know, through the um the ups and downs and, and recently, let's let's be honest, quite a few ups. Um, just followed them and yeah, love the players, love the spirit. Um, up until like two days ago, I loved the spirit. Um <laughs> have, yeah. <laughs> some feelings about what's happened uh, over the past yeah. 48 hours for sure. I'm sure we'll talk about that, but yeah, I mean, you know, to me, it's all about, it's all about, you know, you'll never walk alone. Um, and the incredibly rich sort of history that the club has, um, is why, is why I'm, why I'm a fan. I feel like we're all itching to get into the Super League stuff, but first we're just going to do a really rapid recap, aren't we, Blake? I think. Yes, I'm going to blitz through a few things. Uh, first is our predictions, um, which I am slowly chipping away at Oscar's lead. Um, I got oh. another plus oh. one, um, which diminishes Oscar's lead to plus four. So hopefully when we do predictions later on, I will continue to chip away at that lead and maybe one day regain my my spot um, as the best takes on uh this podcast we are also going to blitz through some uh match recaps because honestly uh it doesn't even feel like there was football this weekend um this past match day saw everton draw tottenham 2-2 um and then the saturday early kickoff oscar and i woke up at 7 30 and watched this together which was very nice uh mm-hmm. where we saw my magpies defeat his irons 3-2 um Told you we dropped it, points. Told you. Yeah, I accurately predicted we'd win by one goal. Um, it was kind of a tale of two halves. Newcastle dominating the first half, going in with a two-nil lead uh, against ten men, and then in the second half, absolutely shitting the bed um, until a late Joe Willock header uh, gave. The Magpies are much needed three points. Um, we're now sitting in 15th, which is huge. Um, this match day also saw Sheffield United lose and officially get relegated. Mm. Um, 
the European Super League's very own Arsenal uh, whimpering to a 1-1 draw with Fulham. Um, Burnley leaving it late until against uh, Burnley. Uh, you know, the ESL, truly the league of the superpowers. Uh, Liverpool whimpering to a 1-1 draw with Leeds. Uh, Dash, I don't know if you watched this. Do you have an opinion on the 1-1? Yeah, well, so that was the first game of my life that I wasn't rooting for Liverpool. So oh, yeah. Yeah. I have no problem with that 1-1 for that reason, because it was in in that window of time. Um, and then finally, uh, today, you know, world superpower Chelsea whimpering to a nil-nil draw um, <laughs> versus Brighton against 10 men Brighton. Um, which I watched and was also terrible. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, a we lot of also, bad matches. Yeah, no, we, we should also mention that Jose Mourinho was sacked by Tottenham. Uh, oh, yeah. Bombshell that dropped quietly. Before a cup final. Yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah. That's pretty much it, though. Um, not a ton of talking points because everything has been dominated by this Super League. Which literally one minute before recording uh, was another bombshell. Yeah. So, where do we want to take this? Do we want to do a quick recap of what the timeline was of the Super League? Um, yeah. Or do we... At least a at least a quick recap of yeah, if not like a closed timeline, just what happened. I yeah. I mean, I'm sure yeah. I, I've written down what went on, but if you have a really detailed. If one of you has uh, a plan, go ahead. I was going to do it by heart, so uh, if you have something right. written down, please take it. Okay, here we go then. All right. I mean, there's many caveats to this, but I guess I'll just give a we'll just give a brief overview. So, Sunday night, European time, um, midday for us here in the states. Twelve clubs led by Fiorentino Perez, or president of Real Madrid and Manchester United separately, um, announced plans to form uh, the European. European Super League, a breakaway league, was meant to replace the Champions League as soon as possible. So the proposed format was as follows. 12 founding clubs with an additional three added at a later date would occupy the ESL and never get relegated, essentially. And so those 12 clubs, top six, traditional top six in England, uh, and then Atletico Madrid, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Inter Milan, AC Milan, and Juventus, uh, notably... German giants uh, rejected the proposal because they're 50 plus one and um, the fans were against it. And PSG also said no. Um, Perez came out and claimed that the plan to form this Super League was to save football, which he says is losing interest from young, young fans and is unsustainable in the current model. Hugh, um, immediate resounding backlash from seemingly everyone so fans across the world are united in defiance to be fair led from what i can tell by the top six clubs in england um uefa came out swinging threatened to throw clubs out of european competitions as soon as possible and ban players from international competitions like the euros and the world cup uh broadcast giants Amazon came out, distanced themselves, which cast doubt 
over whether the people involved with the ESL had any broadcasting connections. So then sort of Monday afternoon into today, cue the dismantling of the ESL. Perez claimed on Tuesday morning that the 12 clubs were united, unwavering, and had signed binding contracts. Um, later in the day, there was rumors that one Premier League club uh, wanted out, which turned into confirmation that Man City had broken the ranks. All around 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time here in the States, all the remaining clubs officially announced their withdrawal in the Premier League, bar Chelsea, I think. And now Inter Milan have officially said they're out. And as of about five minutes ago, the ESL put out a statement saying that they were going to reevaluate uh, basically the system that they had created. So that's the overview. I suppose you you guys can add where you want, but that's the the bare bones. Um, I will start uh, with not like you know timeline factual events, but uh, kind of the the taste. Uh, the temperature of the ESL um, as it went on, um, at least for me and what I perceived. Um, it started with uh, sort of not disbelief, but uh, dismissal, um, because this isn't the first one of these we've heard. Um, for years and years and years, there have been, whenever one of the big six doesn't qualify, talks of, oh, should the Champions League be uh, based on a club stature rather than qualification um, through league position. Um, there was Project Big Picture. Um, and then now less than six months after Big Picture, there's this uh, ESL plan. Um, and then for a while, uh, it really seemed like it was going to happen. Uh, Oscar, I know you were uh, pretty down on it. Uh, yep. You were pretty uh, devastated sounding. Uh, I was slightly cynical because I thought UEFA was going to come out and do some sort of uh, like ban on players and then that would like ban on players and coaches from rejoining a UEFA league um, if they stay with the club that joins the ESL. Mm -hmm. uh, ends up, I guess the, the pressure from the fans was enough that the ESL sort of took a half step, half step back. Mm -hmm. um, and then five minutes ago, uh, definitely relief um, for now. It'll just be what are the, the consequences of this proposal uh, are going to shape really the next few months of football. Um, and I guess we'll get straight into our questions um, that Oscar and I prepared uh, so that this show would have a little bit of a structure. structure. So yeah, why don't we do, um, yeah, why don't we do a sort of like a round robin style, right? So, and then sort of just discuss from there because there's three of us, new format. Um, yeah. I am always interrupting Blake all the time and I feel terrible about it and I definitely don't want to interrupt Dash. So, okay. So we will start this with Dash. Um, what was your gut reaction when you heard about the ESL pro, pro, the project? Um, and how do you feel right now? Yeah, so my gut reaction was that, um, I mean, mostly one of disappointment, I think. 
and also kind of shocked that it was like actually happening um after you know all the all the talk about it as well as i think a sense of shame particularly as a liverpool fan um and and to be honest not just as a liverpool fan also as an american because i think there was something distinctly american about the whole affair um when you look at you know like the ownership of for example liverpool um fenway sports group i happen to also be a red sox fan so i'm like doubly canceled um and like the ownership of you know manchester united jp morgan you know bank like uh financing the whole thing and the fact that american sports leagues are you know closed and and the super league would much more closely resemble things like like we have here um yeah i think i think there was just like a sense of of shame in terms of the way a small group of people who like don't aren't that connected to kind of the the democratic nature of how football works in you know a lot of parts of the world not here but in a lot of parts of the world um yeah i mean i just i felt kind of ashamed and um now um i'm feeling much better that is that the whole thing seems to have to have folded yeah oscar you want to go next yeah i mean i think i think the 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 dynamic is interesting here because uh obviously blake and i are not big six football fans so it's just sort of like different but i i think my immediate reaction was i mean i'd be lying if it wasn't one of shock as well even though we've sort of seen this coming over the horizon but um I think the biggest thing for me is the is the audacity, right? So football is for the people and it's of the people. It's it's a working class sport. It, they call it the beautiful game for a reason. It takes nothing to play. It's accessible to everyone. And so I think given the so, so given those considerations is this is especially evil and you know, I think a big feeling I had over the past couple of days just with everything that's been going on in this pandemic as well with the the wealth disparities Sort of, it's you know, capitalism for capitalism's sake. These people are trying to make money that they can't even spend in their lifetimes, as just for essentially for no reason, and then to sort of hide it beneath uh, this statement that Perez made about saving football is, yeah, I mean, it's audacious to the to the point of rage, to the point of rage, I think. And yeah, I I really yeah spent the past couple of days sort of moping around very sad about about it and also thinking that you know that the evil would win because i mean this is what we've seen time and time again and we see it everywhere in this in this you know capitalist system that we live in um uh, yeah and i guess the caveat is that this isn't over yet and that they'll they'll be back yeah um sort of contrary to oscar um i thought this was one of those things that was too bad to be true um it just like out of nowhere this horrendous thing that had the potential to tank um you know not only my club but uh you know hundreds of clubs across england and across all of europe um and uh it would have really sucked shit if it uh had been had gone through um but i was more optimistic than oscar um it just felt one rushed and two the immediate ban backlash um especially those of big six clubs i it's one of those rare things where i saw like maybe one or two people be 
like actually like this uh proposal um and those people were getting slaughtered for their opinion so Mm. i never really thought it stood a tremendous chance um but the thing really is it didn't stand a chance in this current form uh and will these clubs come back to the table with some more palatable solution um that's that does result in some breakaway league um yeah and i mean it, i'm i would say with 100% confidence there will be a new proposition in the next 6 months um likely with the same clubs um although maybe some clubs don't rejoin um i could see some clubs seeing the backlash be so great to this that they're not willing to risk it again because like what does it say if you're a liverpool fan um and you uh you know your club has these morals um and you're so furious at your owner for trying to like threatening a breakaway league once uh and then the owner goes okay we're not going to do it and then (laughs) six months later they say okay we're doing it again um as much as I think this is going to be the end of support for some of these owners, um, that would be like the largest nail in the largest coffin. Uh, I'm I'm interested in what Dash has to say about. So, I mean, yeah, I just put this to you, Dash, just because you're a Liverpool fan. Do you think that the likes of you know FSG American it's American group? And the Glazers. Do you think that this was calculated on their part, or do you think they genuinely? They're obviously so detached, and they see it as so much as a business model. And the fact that they're American and are used to these closed leagues, do you think they genuinely just did not understand what they were signing up for and the backlash that they would receive, and that's why they've broken ranks so so fast? Yeah, I mean, I think it it has to be that because I just can't imagine them understanding what the backlash was going to be and then and then doing it right it's like i'm trying to imagine some kind of situation in which they you know would have known then it's currently the case now and would have still chosen to to do it i think i think yeah that they just didn't understand how severe the backlash would be they didn't think that the various organizations were going to hold the line Mm. um especially in terms of like international play um and they just yeah they underestimated the opposition to it i guess yeah and i guess relates to that i don't know if you've read the statement but liverpool are really being singled out for how poor their statement is no mention yeah because they they don't apologize yeah they didn't say anything essentially Um, a lot of the a lot of the other you know the six teams from the premier league you know explicitly apologized and yeah, the, the Liverpool statement didn't include anything like that. Um, and yeah, that was that was certainly um, disappointing to see. I think in terms of the the club in general, that was offset a little bit about by like the leadership of Henderson. Yeah, um, because I think he he's been really good, and the players in general have been really good from Liverpool on this, um, especially today. But yeah, super super disappointing from the ownership. Yeah, talking about players, um, I reported that Luke Shaw and Harry Maguire like personally confronted Ed Woodward, um, which is really cool from like two players that I really hate 
So maybe a smidge of respect from the big six hater, Blake Munchell. Yeah. I mean, I think I, that, you know, I think that the, the, the reaction from the, from the big six fans, I mean, and obviously we're just going to do like England oriented because that's what we know the best, but I think that that is an interesting dynamic here, right? Where it's like, it does go to show that we slag off the big six a lot. Sorry, Dash. But, um, yeah. you know, th- uh, so these fans, I guess we'll get into it later about sort of this concept of legacy fandom. But the fans that live in these cities that are part of these communities are just along for the ride. And it's sort of, frankly, coincidental that they've just found themselves in this era of hyper elites and their club is one of those hyper elites. and. Yeah, it was really nice to see, I think, that unanimous backlash from 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 these big six fans. Yeah, yeah. And I think that it, it's, a, it's a fair point in terms of like the different types of fans, um, because, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I don't have any like data on this, but if I had to guess the only fans who would have been supportive of, you know, of of the Super League are you know, like true plastics. Yeah. Um, whereas, yeah, I mean, like the vast, vast majority of like anyone who's, you know, vocally a fan of, of any of these teams was just outright appalled by it. Yeah, maybe uh, Oscar and I can pull together our resources and conduct a survey of, yeah. you know, all the fans of this podcast. And, uh, <laughs> and see, <laughs> get there. It's, it's mainly just West Ham and then people who aren't fans of any club. But there you go. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, do you want to talk about legacy fandom right now? Because I really want to pitch that number six question to you too, because I'm really interested in in that. Uh, yeah, let's pitch? just let's go for it. Okay, so the question that I and and this includes you too, Blake, but because I mean, the difference between and I'm not trying to sound snobbish, but the difference between me and and you two is that quote unquote legacy fandom, where so you both have to a certain extent picked picked your teams and i have been born into a family of west ham fans and so on my dad's side we can trace it back right to i don't know i think it's like we have some memorabilia from the early 20th century or something um and so you know do you feel different as you know newcastle liverpool fans from from the people that you watch or listen to that live in those cities that are those legacy fans or do you sort of reject that do you do you feel that you have an i don't know an equal claim to that fandom that the that those as those people do um i i did think about this earlier today because um our newcastle's supporters trust um have a podcast called true faith um and well they're not one and one but they're mostly the same people. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were talking about how they kind of understand this um, through this, like what modern football is um, and how uh, when they're walking around London or walking around Newcastle, they see so many um, like 11 to 19 year olds wearing Barcelona or Real Madrid or Manchester United kits. Um, but when they were a kid in the 80s, like if you weren't wearing a Newcastle kit, you would be shunned. Um, So there is this sort of, so they were talking about this as like, it's the logical conclusion. um, Like when the younger generation is sort of, they're all uh, 
gravitating towards these same 12 clubs that ended up uh, threatening the ESL, um, it kind of makes sense, not that they like it, that this is what's going to happen. Which I, I suppose is fair. I don't know. Like, I mean, from what I see in the US, I mean, like everyone's a big six supporter. So. Yeah. Uh, I know one Newcastle supporter. Too many uh, Arsenal fans. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, too many American Arsenal fans. That's mm-hmm. we got Dash. Dash is like going to be our uh, guest Liverpool supporter. Uh, our guest Arsenal supporter. We we've got to narrow down who we yeah. want to bring on because we know like twenty five of them. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, I mean, lads, it's Arsenal. But yeah, continue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i i do feel different um in a way um like the the supporters i know who live in newcastle talk about the importance to the city um the city of newcastle is basically centered around st james's park um on match days everything is about the match um it's pretty much all anyone in newcastle can look forward to because there's no jobs. There's no money. That's it's pretty much all they have anymore. Um, but on the other hand, um, when I watched the Alan Shearer documentary, I sobbed um, because yeah. I do feel like this intense connection to Newcastle United um, and by proxy to Newcastle. So I think there's like this weird in between um, of like legacy fandom like people who have had their club passed down from like from father to son to father to son um but like for me like what other opportunity did i have like this is the only way i would have supported soccer you're starting the legacy fandom right exactly oh my god if i ever have kids if they support (laughs) anyone other than newcastle disown them i don't yeah, yeah i don't know what i'd have to do i'll send them to live with you um yeah all right yeah. so yeah i i feel different but i mm-hmm. i don't think there's like this like i i'm not the type of person who would have been swayed by this super league proposition um and i think like Amer like this is like a distinctly american scheme um mm. and even you know like teenagers and young adults who picked up football from people that aren't their parents um like i know it's a very distinctly american thing to uh pick your the football team you support based on fifa um Mm. like when you got fifa as a kid whatever team you enjoyed playing most that's the team you end up supporting um like the the chelsea fans and the arsenal fans i know they're still they're not gonna pick any other club to support um and it's like what you said, their legacy starting now. So, yeah, I think another reason that this was so odd is because I, I reckon that we, we can talk about true plastic fans who don't really know much about football. And I think that's when you get into like that, that area, like that area of non fandom. But I reckon that fans around the world that aren't in these communities. So, for example, let's just take Liverpool, for example, right? And yeah. Liverpudlians are their own unique entity. I, and you can disagree, I guess, with me, Dash, if if I'm wrong. But I, I reckon that 
fans from across the world that don't live in those communities are so desperate to be accepted as true fans that they'll follow anything that the quote unquote true fans, so in this case, the Liverpudlians say, right? And so this is another reason why I didn't understand where the, the support for, for the Super League was going to come from. Because we immediately saw that across the world, even the, even these fans that weren't or that aren't involved in the, in the communities just followed exactly what the community said because they they they're so desperate to be wholly accepted. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, wait, before Dash uh, chimes in because he's a Liverpool fan, um, I will say something about like legacy fans versus um, whatever you want to call non-legacy fans. Uh, that goes along with what Oscar was saying was on Twitter, uh, which, you know, right now in a pandemic living in the United States, that's the only experience to other football fans I'm going to get um, other than talking to Oscar uh, and occasionally chatting shit with Dash. Uh, it was full of, uh, you know, Arsenal fans from Nigeria and Chelsea fans from Turkey and Manchester United fans from Qatar all being against the idea of a super league. So uh I mean even this non-legacy concept um they were still against it, which is cool to see. So Yeah. Yeah. And I think that uh, to answer your original question first, just a couple of thoughts on it. I think that um ultimately in terms of how much like I guess buy-in or how much stake you have in the fandom ultimately that's just up to like each person and i guess like how much they care mm-hmm. and i think that there's definitely a correlation there with like sort of like it, it being like passed down the family but the sort of legacy nature of it doesn't itself define it if that makes sense mm-hmm. yeah it's just correlated and, and, and like an example of that would be like i'm see a fan of the boston red sox like my family is from boston and you know i was like a in 2004 when they won the world series like that was a huge i was six you know and yeah. today um i couldn't name a single player on the team don't follow it at all I'm, I'm a much 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 bigger fan of liverpool which is a team i just chose right um so ultimately it comes down to the person and i think that like like you were saying um, a lot of these global fans yeah they do want to be like accepted as 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 part of the fandom exactly, and 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 they saw the kind of outrage. Um, and I think like some of them also just like intuitively understood it, but but yeah, but yeah, they yeah. saw they saw the outrage, and and yeah, I think that uh, it, it's r- really the types of people who would have been you know big fans of the Super League would, would be people who, who don't really have a club at all. Yeah, yeah and yeah. you know just know a couple of the biggest names and want to see them play against each other. Yeah. All right. That yeah. Um. No. Well, thanks for answering that because I, I was really interested in that. Um. Uh. Yeah. Where do you want to go next? Which question? Which uh. Ash, which question? Oh, I guess Blake, if you have an idea, but which question? Yeah, stands out to you. Um. I got this one for Dash. Um. Oh. And in a way for Oscar. Um. Okay. We know that right now the ESL um is taking a step back, and they'll come back to the table with whatever they come up with. But, um, if it were to go through. Dash, would you have stopped supporting Liverpool? And this is like an easy question for Oscar and I to answer because, like, obviously we would say no. 
but we don't have clubs in this position. So yeah. our answers truly don't mean anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Dash, uh, you know, would you stop supporting Liverpool and Oscar? Try to try your best to answer that question. Yeah, and, and this is interesting too because I'm interested to hear Oscar's answer because yeah, I feel yeah. like it's a little different if you're from the from the community. Um, but my answer is yes, I would have stopped supporting Liverpool. And I know that because I wasn't rooting for them yesterday. Um when they played when they played Leeds. I just, I just it was the first time I wasn't rooting for them to win. Um because I think the the Super League and especially the idea that Liverpool was one of the like four sort of like clubs masterminding it as well. Um it really just ran against the kind of spirit of the club that I envisioned. Um and that I sort of like understood to be true. And you know, from from the anthem to you know the like like the you know the the tragedy um in in the 80s hillsborough like this this kind of idea of solidarity being like a sort of core tenant of being a liverpool fan yeah um was yeah just kind of called into question and i think that the, you know the past 48 hours even though i'm still disillusioned with the ownership um it, the the players at least have all sort of like came out of come out of this looking like they're still carrying that spirit um as well as the fans. So like those two groups, which are the most important groups, you know, are I think relatively unscathed. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would still be a fan of the players, you know, I would still, if there was an alternate reality where the super league happened and you know, the world, they were allowed to play in the world cup. Like I would still root for Mo, like when he's playing for Egypt. Yeah. Um, and and I would still hate their rivals. Like I would still hate, yeah. you know, Manchester United. I still hate Everton. Um, but yeah, I would I would stop being a Liverpool fan. Hmm. I think yeah, that's interesting. I yeah, you're right. I mean, for 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 me and Blake, or I guess for me, it's clouded by a, a couple of things. And yeah, that first being the the difference is that. West Ham for me is obviously a love, but it goes beyond that just because it's it's such a important family thing and it connects me to especially my dad, but then also my granddad. The the, the other thing I think we have to consider, well, obviously, is that it's different because um, we're we're not a top top six side, but w w none of us are old enough to remember the switch from uh, well when the Premier League was was um, formed. And I know that my granddad um, used to talk about how the formation of the Premier League ruined a, a big part of football for him. And, um, you know, in, in those, again, in those working class like um, communities, th that switch to, to the money flowing in and, and to that, um, you know, the, the disparities between the elite clubs was something that made them turn their, their back on the game. I think that if West Ham was in this position and if the Super League went through, I I reckon I would. I reckon I would stop being a West Ham fan in the sense that I would see West Ham as an entity and it would have ended in, in 2021, for example. So I would have been a fan of, of the history of the club or, as, or of the club as I had seen it, but not moving forward. And then I'd pivot, you know, to, to try and find something in, in, in that community. So like Dulwich Hamlet, for example, I think they play 
you know, in, in like National League South or something. And so I would I would look to them and think, well, I'll reinvest that that those connections, those deeper connections to, to somewhere else. But yeah, it's it's a really hard question to answer because obviously we're not in that position. And and the other thing is that Ashley, uh Mike Ashley and and Gordon Sullivan, if they they would bite the like the hands off of Fiorentina Perez if they had been offered this. So Blake and I can't even pretend that our clubs wouldn't act like scum as well. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, I like no doubt in my heart that if this was offered to Newcastle, Mike Ashley would take it in a heartbeat. Um, the four hundred million is more than the three hundred million that he's going to get for selling Newcastle. So, um, you know, mm-hmm. I will. Uh, you know, I mean, I hate Mike Ashley, so I have no hesitation in saying that I know Newcastle would join because I hate the idea of the ESL and I hate Mike Ashley. So, but yeah, my answer to this question is that kind of the same as Oscar. Um, Oscar knows I have this like intense hatred for any other club in the premier league or the championship that isn't Newcastle. Uh, And I like hold these very slight warmness towards clubs that I basically describe as the clubs I don't hate the the West Ham's the Brighton's the Leicester cities um you know Brentford they got Ivan Tony um yeah. these clubs that don't you know strike me with this black rage in my heart um <laughs> so I, if this were to happen to Newcastle like uh, I obviously wouldn't pick any other Premier League team I would pick I I would do what I did when I was a kid and you know just picked a different club but I wouldn't go with uh I wouldn't go with any new Premier League I wouldn't go with any ESL I'd pick like Blythe Spartans or Walls End Boys Club or mm. uh, maybe you know go abroad support some German team Yeah Real Sociedad uh, yeah, go full American hipster and support St. Pauli. Um, yeah, you know, just start anew. I, I don't know what I do with all my Newcastle gear though. Uh, I have accumulated quite a bit. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. I uh, hopefully you know I I doubt Newcastle will ever be in the position that uh, you know, this is a reality. Um, how about but yeah. Um, how about we pivot to consequences? Uh, because I think that's that's the like next natural stage of this, and I'm interested to hear what you guys have to say about it. Um, what? How yeah. about? We with, yeah. No, go ahead, Blake. You 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 take the lead. Well, I was, I was gonna. Say, I posed this question, so I can yeah. take the lead on this one. Um, we saw the ESL has taken a step back, um, but I think if there is no punishment right now and it's not strict enough you know we're going to see nearly the same exact thing there there has to be some sort of punishment that requires uh, a change to what they bring to the table for when they bring it to the table um and you know like if it's not harsh enough they will just come back with a equally harmful thing but if it's too harsh they you know might out of spite or out of desperation or out of whatever, um, you know, do a, a full stop pull out and create their own league and just tank the Premier League out of spite. Mm. Um, 
So uh, I thought this uh, national team ban was relatively fair um, and probably uh, productive enough. Um, but I guess we'll start with Oscar. Um, do you think uh, like a straight UEFA national team ban and I guess FIFA for the World Cup um, would be enough to deter something this catastrophic from happening again? Um, and where where do you draw this line in the balance of not harsh enough versus too harsh? I think this is really interesting. I, I reckon, so like to start off, I reckon that was most likely smoke and mirrors, if that's the right phrase. I, I'm not sure about the legal, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure about the legality of that. I don't know if they would have been able to push that through, to be honest with you. Um, also, you, I don't know, I think, it's so harsh on the players because it's just this is this is the big thing. This is not the players' fault. It is literally just the owners, um, and that it's. I mean, it's a severe punishment. I think that if just the threat of that was, the players must have been bricking themselves, frankly, um, because that that's it's really awful. And I was listening to a podcast actually where I can't remember his name, but ex footballer was saying, I reckon that more players than you think wouldn't care about not being able to play for their national sides. And he cited Robert Lewandowski as an example um, because he was like, oh, you know, Poland will never win any major tournament. I really, I didn't like that very much. I just don't, obviously he's an ex-footballer and I guess he knows the, the, the pros more than us, but that just doesn't make sense to me because, I mean, we all know how seriously patriotic people are. I don't think, I mean, I don't think any of us are one of them. But um, yeah, I think that that threat, what we have to consider, right, is that these players have grown up, 90% 90 of them are fans like us. And and so they've grown up dreaming of representing their nation or like a club in these um, traditional tournaments. And so I think, yeah, the, the fact that UEFA came out swinging and said, we will literally kick you out. If they had managed to do that and, and shown that it was legal and that they could actually do it, I think that would have been enough to push it over the line anyway. Yeah. So long-winded way of saying, yeah, I reckon, reckon, I reckon it's harsh enough as well. Dash? Yeah, well, I think, so it's, it's interesting in terms of like the threatened punishment um, a world where like the Super League is going forward as opposed to um, now, when we know it's not in terms of, you know, sort of like retroactive punishments that they're talking about, mm. whether it's like docking points from like the six clubs in the in the Premier League table or something like that. Um, in terms of like the kinds of punishments that were warranted um, to stop the Super League from happening. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's it's interesting. It, it sort of seemed like um, to a certain extent, everyone was bluffing. And it's the Super League people that that folded, um, and so yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I would I would hate to to punish the players like that. Um, I would hate for you know players who really yeah, as 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 you said, wasn't their decision. And I imagine at least at least most of them surely care a lot about playing for the national teams. You know, especially in oh, yeah. tournaments, especially in the World Cup. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, to the extent that it was, you know, possibly a, a bluff, well, it worked. So I, I guess, I guess I'm glad they made it. 
Um, what what do you think an appropriate punishment is? For now that they're not going forward, or if they had been? Now that they're not going forward, do you think there should be any sort of retroactive punishment just for attempting to do this? Mm. Yeah. Um, I mean... <sighs> I don't know like i'm i'm a little bit torn on because like my main thing is like what steps can be taken so that the people trying to do something like this don't succeed down the line and i'm like honestly not sure if like slapping some kind of punishment on the clubs now makes it more or less likely that it succeeds in the future can can i just jump in i yeah i wanted to say so I, re- I mean, they've punished themselves at this point, because I think this could be a real watershed moment. Because the the, the rich clubs, all their leaders, I mean, and now Woodward is sort of like he's resigned, so that's another thing. But all of them resigned from their positions at UEFA and the ECA um, on Monday, so they have no say in those boardrooms now, and they have worse voting rights. And so what what you have, they've literally like they've they've I don't know what's a good analogy. Like, there's there's a on Animal Planet, there's this like famous clip where a boa constrictor sees a crocodile, and is and attempts to eat it, and it starts to eat it, and then the crocodile fights back and literally like rips the boa constrictor in half, like bursts out the seams, like w- while it's inside the boa constrictor, and that's essentially like the metaphor I think you can come up with. That's that's the these clubs right now that they've got so greedy that they tried to eat the Champions League as alligator and then it just like you know imploded. Um, and I think yeah, look, this is now now's the time that other clubs can go in for the kill because suddenly um, the clubs like ours, West Ham, Newcastle, have much more say in the in these boardrooms and they can possibly push through reforms that are needed in the game. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think self-punishment, that's, that, 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 I mean, it's already enough for them. Uh, not to mention that now they, that they won't be able to be bailed out, um, financially, but I could see something like docking points, um, maybe for this current season, uh, that, that would then mean that, you know, City would probably still win it. United would still get top four. Probably it would mean that likes of Liverpool and Chelsea wouldn't be able to get Champions League, but then maybe there you go. That's sort of like a semi-reset. Yeah. um, I was going to say, like, what I think will happen uh, could be a reduction of points because the Premier League gets to flex its muscles. Uh, They get to say, look what we did to these attempted traders. But in reality, docking points from the big six clubs won't do anything. Um, Arsenal will still be uh, like utter garbage shit. Uh, Tottenham will still be utter garbage. <laughs> Liverpool will still be, you know, right there in the European race. Same with Chelsea. Man City still win the league. Man United still come second. So all in all, nothing changes if the Premier League docks points. Um, but then the question is, is that, too, is that letting them off easy? Um, like, are they actually going... Do they actually feel this is punishment enough to deter this thing from happening again? So then what are your other options? You can ban them from the Champions League next season, um, which I think they're in their right to do if UEFA wants to. 
Um, but then you're punishing players for a decision made by the owners of a club. So how do you punish the owners without punishing the players? The only thing I can think of is um, like a transfer ban, uh, which would be insane. Uh, it's like, you know, someone someone's stealing apples, so you ban them from, from buying any more oranges. Um, it's like this sideways step, but it would punish the clubs and punish the owners and punish the teams without punishing the individual players on each team. Um, that being said, no way in hell they ever do that. Um, Alan Shearer talked about, you know, stripping titles and stuff, um, which if the super league goes through well in on them, fully strip every single one of these clubs, every single one of their trophies. Um, I would support that, but I mean, I'd support that even if the big six didn't do anything wrong. So, um, (laughs) yeah um i don't know what some punishment is maybe monetary um monetary is a pretty good punishing the the owners without punishing the players um plus if you add in a uh some sort of um perspective if the if anything of this nature were to ever go through any coach who is managing one of these teams would be banned from managing any European club in the future. Any player would be banned from playing for their national team. Um, I feel like that's a threat enough, a big enough threat um, to deter them. Because like, if you think about the world superstars, um, I, I was listening to a podcast earlier today and I thought this was a brilliant point. Um, Kevin De Bruyne has won everything on the club level. Um, He's won in Belgium. He's won in Germany. He's won in England. Uh, the only thing he has left to like to actually achieve that he hasn't done so already is national team glory. Mm-hmm. Um, same with the, the Paul Pogba's. The you know all these players from all these clubs. Um, for a ton of them, all they have left is national team accolades. Uh, and you know, like Dash and I, you don't get this. Like we don't get this whole nationalist uh, idea because uh, neither Dash nor I think too highly of the United States. Oh, uh, throw me in, please. I don't. I hate. Uh, you. <laughs> I was gonna call you a nationalist. Oh, that's God. how I wanted to. I wanted to do that for the. Yeah, that's like funny. Um. <sighs> But you're you're certainly more attached to the England national team than Dash or I oh, to the English. American national team. Well, that's um, well, the English national team is in the tournament for one thing. Yeah, so I, I think that would be there's like a good enough punishment there for the future um, with like threatening this national team ban plus coaching, no coaching in Europe. Um, if you decide to coach an ESL team, um, plus some either monetary slash point deduction for, uh, you know, punishment for even threatening this. So any thoughts on that? Too harsh, not harsh enough. Um, I honestly don't know. I think it's just one of those, yeah, it's, it's, I, I think that makes sense. I, I, I just don't think much will happen to to be honest. Um 
but that's just because okay i mean i guess that look i i just wanted to say before we wrap this section up i wanted to to throw in the we we can't lose sight of the fact that this is money versus money and that uefa is very evil as well and i think that it's like the the sort of thing where it's like the devil you know versus the devil that you well yeah you don't know but it's you know i'm unfamiliar and that football has these massive problems already i think a lot of people would say it's already broken Mm -hmm. um and you know i mean where's the backlash where's this backlash against like the in the past year how crazy the 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 racial abuse has been and then and the the reaction from the fa and from clubs themselves and from players it's just apathetic um well you know where's where's the energy for that and i think that like i said before it, it could be a watershed moment it really could be where we can start to redistribute the wealth and you know try and fix all these all these massive problems but i just don't think it will be and i think that that's a sadness slash an issue in of itself um yeah yeah um to touch on that slightly patrick bamford um in the post liverpool press conference uh said nearly word for word um what you just said uh he's like if if every supporter of all these clubs can come out against it, like why can't we do the same against like racial abuse? Um, which, you know, is a great question. Um, with the overwhelming support that this had, why hasn't there been this overwhelming support for all these issues that have plagued the Premier League and plagued pretty much every single popular movement? in any country across the world why like what what is the what's the difference between wanting this and wanting you know your players on your team not to be racially abused when they make a minor mistake or when they do nothing at all so um i don't know i i can't tell you the the difference um other than you know some people don't want things to change um I don't have yeah and and I'll just add in addition to um obviously the the racial abuse that goes on in a lot of stadiums, which you know I mean it, it's clear that the institutions can act aggressively to stop certain things from happening and and you know chose to act much more aggressively for this than something like that, which has been ongoing um yeah, just in addition to that also. Um, the the sort of proposal of the Super League would have really damaged um, the women's game as well. And that was just kind of like an afterthought to all of it about yeah, the yeah. fact that these 12 clubs aren't the best 12 women's clubs, but they probably would have essentially dragged an arbitrary <laughs> 12 yeah. women's clubs out of their domestic leagues. And, and yeah, it was it was almost like it it didn't matter at all in terms of the way a lot of people talked about it. Yeah. Dash, do you have more thoughts that you want to get out there? Because Blake and I have prattled on enough, I reckon. Um, um, yeah, well, I, I, 
I'll um, jump off this this sort of discussion of existing problems in the game of, of football to, you know, suggest a couple other things as well in terms of things that, you know, probably should change, um, even though I'm not, you know, entirely optimistic that they will. Um, but I think that it's a, a problem that's not, obviously unique to to football but it sort of exists in the sport in a way that's emblematic of just kind of like global history but you know there's a reason that all the best players in the world essentially play in europe even the ones that you know aren't from europe um they don't you know the they don't stay in in south america for the most part they don't stay in in africa or, or in asia um, because the the European clubs are the, are the richest in the world. Um, and so, you know, we, we kind of talk about this idea of these 12 clubs separating themselves from the rest of European football and like severing the link and not sharing the wealth that the sport brings. But if you think about it, like the Super League kind of already exists and it is like the European continent of football. And in a lot of ways, it has severed itself from you know all the other clubs of the world um in in terms of like the structure and how it works and so yeah i mean i don't it's not it's not as as sort of forward a fix as this was because this is something that's been you know decades in the making and not 48 hours in the making um but i think it's worth mentioning that the kind of drastic um inequality in terms of the funds that are generated by the sport you know oftentimes generated by you know some of the biggest stars being from all around the world um almost entirely go to exclusively you know european clubs and then of course exclusively to some extent these 12 clubs that we're talking about agreed yeah it's one of those things where you know it's like more for for clubs in outside of Europe who, you know, they just straight up don't have the broadcasting income and they don't have other sources of income like Europe does, you might as well sell every promising youngster you have to Europe for a million rather than holding on to your best talent, selling them for a hundred million. Because it's like you, you get one million guaranteed per, you know, really exciting youngster but then you you never know who's going to develop and who's not so it's this giant farm of talent um that is just the rest of the world and europe is just buying cheap selling high so yeah 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 uh that will wrap our super league section of this podcast um I will tell you, Sunday night when Oscar and I were originally supposed to record this podcast, this is not what we expected to be talking about. Uh, and then we just, you know, like most thing, most important things in our lives, uh, you know, shoved it off until a later date. Um, yeah. I think Oscar and I are going to do predictions off air um, just, you know, for time's sake. But I do want to do some questions with Dash here. Um, and yes. uh dash i know you're an avid listener to the podcast uh you know like lifelong supporter of us friend of the pod um but 
At the end of every podcast, I ask Oscar five questions. The first is always a a wonder kid who peaked early, and then we talk about you know what he came, what what he became versus what he didn't become. So, uh, I will kick it off with that question. Uh, and plus, I always make Oscar guess. So, uh, I'm gonna make Dash guess this time. Okay, uh, and it's gonna really test your uh, your fandom. Uh, okay. I'll I'll probably be exposed as a bald fraud, but continue. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. That's what we'll call it. Don't worry. Don't worry. So this is a player from the north of England, very near Newcastle. Um, in fact, he started off at one of Newcastle's biggest rivals um, in the Youth Academy of Middlesbrough. Um, and he was actually a Mackham for a short while in 2003. Uh, he would then join Aston Villa, where he sort of really blew onto the scene before joining Liverpool in 2011 to 2013, making 65 appearances. He then fucked off out of Liverpool and joined another equally disappointing club, West Ham United, from 2013 to 2015, before returning to Middlesbrough and since 2019 joining this club, Dash, can you tell me where one Stuart Downing is? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> Stuart Downing, yeah, no. Um, is he at Leicester? Oscar, do you want to take a shot? Yeah, he's at Blackburn Rovers. Yes, he is at Blackburn Rovers. What a player, uh, by the way. What a I, in my opinion, he sort of uh, encapsulates like Liverpool in, you know, late 2000s, early 2010s. Um, he's like exactly the quality of player that Liverpool were at that time. Um, you know, just utter wank <laughs> it's uh, rich coming from Stuart, Newcastle Stuart Downing <laughs> is class you, you've never seen him you've never seen him play properly Stuart Downing is an amazing footballer made a, had a bunch of appearances for um, England as well on the, on the 35 yeah. 35 England appearances yeah did he really wow he's a, he was a really good player he really was and he's, he's like 30 what 36 or something and he Still doing all right in the championship. Great player. I love him. Good for him. Yeah, 50 appearances for Blackburn. Um, 20 million pounds Liverpool bought him for. Yeah, that's crazy. That was like the Andy Carroll era of uh, Liverpool just buying too much money. Yeah. Um, Okay. So the rest of the questions I have are, you know, of course... ESL related, um, a little less discussion based, a lot less discussion based than our previous questions. Um, these are, you know, one word answers, dash, uh, okay. or one sentence answers. Uh, of the six English teams that threatened to join the European Super League, which one would have done the best long term? Oh, Liverpool, for, for sure. 
Oscar. Can you repeat? You, I'm sorry, everyone cut out. Can you repeat? Yep. Uh, of the six English teams that threatened to join the ESL, which one would have done the best long term? Oh, um, City. Yeah, they, uh, yeah, they I have to go money, City. And they, they are <laughs> run very coldly and clinically. Um, yeah. In a, in a world where, you know, uh, the teams like Arsenal and Liverpool are barely scraping by uh, in the black, uh, City are well and fully, fully backed. Uh, no problems with money there. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree yeah, City, I think. I don't know. You said you said long term. I agree City in the short term, but I think that there are certain City has not always been good and I don't think they always will be either. That's my take. But neither has like Liverpool. Sovereign, sovereign like state. Like I just don't FSG like they just, it's just nothing compared to to the city to the city owners. I just the infrastructure like the inst- they're building an institution like because I reckon FSG would sell. But but the Qatari owners, oh, not the Qatari owners, the, the like, Sheikh, yeah, Mansour would never sell because he just doesn't have to. It's just a game to him. FSG, it's a business. Yeah. And yeah. With, I mean, with City, they literally are pumping out money. Like, their clubs fully making their own money, which is super rare in football nowadays um, or ever. Uh, the, like academy itself basically can fund the first team um, just by selling prospects. So, uh. all right. Well, maybe you guys can can look at this more objectively than I can. But <laughs> no, no self-respecting Liverpool fan is <laughs> Man City certainly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I, I wrote this with uh, before the ESL put out their statement. Of course, um, the ESL put out their statement five minutes before recording, um, but. My question said, uh, with teams backing out um, from the Premier League, uh, if the EF- ESL was to ask another Premier League team to join them to replace one of the clubs that had dropped out, who's the next club to get invited in? It's, who's the next? Mm. It's got to be Leicester, right? Because they've won recently? They're right, yeah. I guess if you're basing it yeah. On- yeah, you, you could base it off that, but I don't know if Leicester have enough global fans to you know make it into the cool kids club. I would put my money on Everton, maybe. Oh uh, yeah, because uh, they're so so old. Mm. Yeah, plus mm. five or top five manager in the world, lots of money. But this just you know lots it good, good it really just exposes again just how stupid it is, right? Because. You know, yeah. I mean, who was it that said how 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 are Ajax not in the Super League when they're you know one of Europe's greatest ever teams, you know, legacy wise or whatever you or trophy wise, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, right. Because there's there's certainly something just it's just sort of like an arbitrary moment in time, yeah. and and that certainly reflects on like my choice of Leicester. Um, but like, let's be honest, that kind of reflects on the actual talent as well oh yeah no for sure i mean yeah. i don't D- levy's done an absolute madness to get them in i mean what the hell? they literally have no i just i don't even know how 
he got in, I guess, just because, I mean, I, maybe it all sort of turns out that not, maybe they approached a lot of clubs and a lot of them said no. Um, yeah. But well, New, Newcastle have won a trophy more recently than yeah. Tottenham. So. No, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's farcical, but I mean, this is, we know, we know this, right? I mean, and so, yeah. yeah that, uh, okay. Uh, question number four. Uh, if this ESL thing were to go through and if they're, if UEFA stuck to their guns and uh, put a national team ban on any player in the ESL, who is the highest profile player that would still opt to go to the ESL? Good question. Uh-huh. Yeah, th- this was a tough one. I was trying to think for a long time. This is kind of like in lieu of the Lewandowski. One. Yeah. Uh, well, no. Go ahead, Dash. <laughs> um, the first, the first person who came to mind was um, Christian Pulisic. Oh, yeah. uh, because the U.S. isn't even in it, and he's um, a fascist, so I'm sure he likes that stuff. So. Yeah. Um, there's, I'm sure there's someone higher profile than him, though. I reckon. Um, some so sometimes you'll hear so Mark Andre Tushtegan famously like doesn't really like football, so maybe someone like him. But again, that might just be harsh. Like you just don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. Goalkeepers are mad, so maybe. Yeah. Um, Mo Salah because he's not UEFA. Uh, no, he's got too much integrity. Yeah. I I really don't know it. So like, if you think about the qualifying factors for this, it 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 either have to be someone low in the pecking order of their national team, uh, say, like England striker Patrick Bamford, um, or you'd have to be of a small nation where you know there's really no consequence in you not playing for your national team because you're so much better than everyone else on your national team um like uh pierre emmerich Aubameyang. but i know like he loves gabon so i don't think he would yeah and then again it just you know frankly makes a mockery of what elite even means and then also i guess goes back into what dash was saying about why so many of these you know the best teams in the world are European, right? Bar a, a few, you know, South American stuff. It's because all the wealth and infrastructure is in Europe. So, yeah, yeah. The the other thing was older players who have already retired from their national team, um, and are really just looking for that final payday. Latin. You're right. I so I have a a, a sort of. <laughs> additional question based off of that for y'all i'm just interested to hear let's say that the super league happened and they all got banned from the world cup and all the players on those 12 teams just played for the super league and didn't participate in the world cup what country then wins world cup france yeah it's not england it's france right because the the french teams are in the super league like, no, or Germany. No, well, Germany. Germany. Also, just because France just have so many like insane talents that they could take the hit from the top teams and still keep going. 
because just a, yeah like they got yeah they got all those in in germany got all of them in leipzig and severe and uh, yeah just so many they just got them everywhere these like crazy talents that have yet to be picked up what, what do you think i think yeah. france or germany um although with germany no f no <laughs> um that's i was uh listening to some americans some american football fans um and they were talking about like who would be ineligible versus who would be eligible. Um, and it was basically like, you know, the, the only hope that the U S men's national team has would all be disallowed. The, the Pulisic, Weston McKenney, uh, Serginio Dest, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, you'd have a Josh Sargent up top and Giovanni like? Reina, yeah. um, and Tyler yeah. Adams. But other than that, DeAndre Yadlin would still be going. That'd be good. Um, Musa, Musa, the yep. Valencia winger. The Valencia winger. Uh, uh, yeah, nice, exciting. Yeah. So ignoring the fact that Dash just tried to hijack, uh, you know, <laughs> our podcast. Uh, <laughs> my final question uh, is: uh, what What's the best way we can get rid of the big six without? you know, tanking the rest of the Premier League. And Dash might not have the best answer for this one. Hmm. Um, I think the redistributing the wealth across the footballing pyramid is, is the key. So introducing new laws about how much uh, you can spend, how much profit you can make, uh, if you make a certain amount of profit, where that goes these kind of things so just try and level the playing field again but that would take obviously sweeping sweeping laws and um and you wouldn't i mean then there's sort of things like broadcasters wouldn't like it and uh club owners would try and leave and all this kind of stuff dash yeah <laughs> i think it's tough because a lot of the measures that we take in american sports to kind of have more equality of teams just don't work in a pyramidal system in terms of our like you know like the worst teams get the best draft picks um that doesn't make any sense when you can be relegated and yeah it also it also causes its own problems in terms of like tanking and stuff like that so yeah it's it's definitely tough um but i think that ultimately it com comes down to money and yeah, like distributing it in a more equitable way and, you know, potentially capping the way it's used by some of these top six teams. But I don't know what else you can really do. Yeah, um, I'd go with uh, a salary cap in general um, and sort of a um, revert, like a, a pyramid shaped salary cap. Um, where the top clubs are only allowed to add X amount um, to their salary uh, books, whereas lower clubs, it gets less and less strict. Right. Um, you can do some sort of strict um, club partnerships as you go down the table, um, like X percent of Man City's profit has to go to blank League One club. Um, right that they have some partnership with that gets really messy with promotions and relegations. Um, and I don't know how you'd set that all up, but that would be 
truly beneficial in terms of like developing English talent and stuff. So that is something that would be a good idea regardless of ESL talk. Um, yep. And I had one other idea. Um, other than the salary cap, what would I do? Uh, I'm not sure. Um, yeah. Uh, but with that being said, that wraps up episode 22 of the Peaked Too Early podcast. Please follow the podcast at Peaked the Number Two Pod on Twitter. Emails at Peaked the Number Two Podcast at gmail.com. Follow Oscar at O H S C U H. Follow me at B M U N S H. Uh, leave a, oh, a review. And Dash, dash where can where can people find? Y-L. Oh, I already. <laughs> Yeah, you can you can follow me on Twitter at dash d a s h underscore y l. Uh, and dash, where can people find uh, uh, Michaela stuff? And, uh, and any other things you want to plug? Yeah, why not? Let's plug Michaela. Um, yeah, follow Michaela Wilkes um, running for Congress in Maryland's fifth district at Meet Michaela M E E T M C K A Y L A. Um, yeah, I think that's everything I have to plug. Um, but thanks, y'all, and yeah, thank you so much for inviting me on and, and letting me join you guys. Thanks for coming. This was great. Loved it. Yeah, thank you, Dash. Thank All you, right, and see you. I'm standing. <laughs>